If you have a Bible with you or a device with your Bible on it, um, in fact, well, I don't know that your device will fall open easily, but certainly your Bible should be falling open a little bit more easily to Hebrews as we're in the series looking at faith. So we're heading again this morning to Hebrews 11. So we are currently in the midst of a season focusing on faith. Um, and uh, it's certainly a place that I have felt to continue to stay with this week. So let's start by praying and then we'll read the word together. Father, I thank you that as we open your word, that you are faithful to speak to us and that your word is alive and active in our lives. We just look to you this morning. Um, we intentionally open our hearts to you and our ears to what it is that you're wanting to say to us this morning. God, we're not looking just for good information, but actually for an encounter with you and to hear what it is that you want to say to us this morning. So would you help us? In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to have a look again at um, Hebrews 11. I'm just going to read a few verses throughout Hebrew 11 just to again give us a taste for what we're looking at at the moment. So Hebrews 11 verse 1 says this, now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then the, he the letter um, writer to the Hebrews here goes on and he says, By faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. Remembering that the writer to the Hebrews here is speaking to people for whom these are their patriarchs. These are the people they know these stories. These are very familiar, a familiar part of their own story. And so the writer to Hebrews is pulling out these people um, of faith, these patriarchs, these people of faith, to highlight to these um, Hebrew readers this aspect of faith. And then we read in verse 6, it says, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And then I'm just going to hop down to verse 32. Again, he highlights Abraham's faith, Sarah's faith, Jacob's faith, Moses' faith. And then we'll just pick it up in verse 32. It says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, made mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, 
Women receive back their dead by resurrection. And he, on he goes to even um, uh, give a chronology of people who have been martyred for their faith. And then he finishes in, um, I just want to finish with chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 again. We read over communion. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So I have to be honest that when Andrew said a few weeks ago that he thought that we might do a series on faith, I balked. Um, There is such a diversity in the understanding um, within Christian circles of what faith is. And I've actually found it in the past quite a confusing topic to actually navigate. What is faith? What does it look like to have faith? What what is faith not? Um, But it's actually really challenged me to examine um, freshly what it is that I believe a life of faith to be. And in fact, to really dig in and see what is biblical faith. So I think that it presents all, for all of us a great opportunity regardless of whether you come to this as somebody who has lived your life with Jesus for 50 years or whether in fact you're new to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that in fact it gives us an opportunity to actually look at and be reminded and even have our experience refined of what it means to be a people of faith. So I'm going to stick with the working definition that we've been using over the last couple of weeks, which is a fleshing out of what we read in Hebrews 11 verse 1. So this is the working definition that we've been working from, that a life of faith is a life lived fully leaning on, and that that word for fully leaning on means to be fully secure, fully sure, and fully steadfast. So the life of faith, is, to, is a life lived leaning on the present promises of Christ and living out the proving process of faith in our lives. I wanted to just do, I guess, just to give you a bit of um, a foundation of where we've come from over the last couple of weeks. You'll be glad to know I'm not going to re-preach Andrew's sermons. If you didn't hear them, I really would... Um, encourage you to get access to them they are on through our website through the podcast or through itunes or if that's technology that puts you off you can order a cd Um, but just to actually get hold of this because we really feel that this is actually a highlight season for us and that god is underlining for us to be really again re-examining what it means to be a people of faith So just to remind ourselves of the foundation, and as I said in the earlier service, if for no other reason than to encourage Andrew that I was listening last week, praise God, there was one. Um, Good, thank you, excellent. So the initiator, source and object of our faith 
is the Lord Jesus Christ, the initiator, the source, and the object of our faith is the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith is the confidence that God will do what he has promised. Andrew encouraged us that faith is not static, that it is an action, that it, there is, is a doing word is always associated with faith. There isn't so much a working up, but there is a working out of our faith. This one I love and I've been really chewing at over this week, which is that the size of our faith is not the issue, but rather who our faith is connected to and placed in. Remember, Jesus said, you only have to have faith the size of a mustard seed. And that in the midst of life and in the midst of life's ups and downs, there is a proving process of faith. That faith is proven and evidence is obtained actually through a testing process. So with these things in mind, today what I want to set out for us is a framework for faith, a framework for faith. That's actually the title of my sermon if you're taking notes, a framework for faith. When we started this year, the Lord's first word to us in the new year was to keep our gaze steady. And I think as we reflect on this year, that's not really surprising. This is a significant transition year to us, for us as a people of faith gathering here at Vision Christian Fellowship. And so I want to again declare over us this morning that God's invitation to us is to keep our gaze steady and to lean in in faith. As I prayed before, we don't simply want to hear another good message about faith. We don't want to gather more information about faith. Actually, what we're looking for is as a people to be stirred and transformed in our own lives, both as individuals but also as a church family, about living a life of faith. So as I look at the framework for faith, I've got three points. We have the source the process, and the environment. So the, the source, the process, and the environment. So, well, I'm going to give you the answer to the source straight up front. He is our source of faith. As we read these passages of these incredible heroes of faith, we would be forgiven for thinking that they were superhuman and perfect, I think particularly if we read this without remembering the context of their backstories, because they all have one and they are all humans. But when you read this and you read about faith, it sounds like there's a requirement to be superhuman and perfect. Hebrews 11 is filled with these incredible feats accomplished by faith the stopping of lions' mouths and the putting out of fire and um, death, um, women receiving back their, their dead by resurrection. And there is no doubt when you read Hebrews 11 that faith is very important. 
And then we read in Hebrews verse um, 11, verse 6, which we read before. I'll just remind you again. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. I don't know how that makes your heart feel. But I have to be honest, when I've read this verse, I actually have come face to face with my own inadequacy. I really want to please God. I suspect all of us here are people whose desire is to please God. And it says that without faith, I am unable to please him. I wonder if you've read this verse and in fact what comes to mind is not these great feats of faith, although you may have those in your life too, but that in fact you reflect upon your failures and your fear and your doubt in various circumstances of life. And that then from that place you've approached God with your head hung low, God, you must be so displeased with me because I failed in faith again. But I want to challenge us this morning that this view flows from a faulty view of faith. That faith is something that we must possess from within ourselves and that it's based on my performance and my ability to work it up. Human effort and perfection is not what this passage is describing. From a kingdom perspective, it is definitely truth that it is impossible to do anything without faith. That word impossible actually means powerless or impotent. So we are powerless and impotent without faith. But here is the incredible good news. He calls us to a life of faith and then he even gives us the faith that we need to live a life of faith leaning on him. Isn't that incredible? He is the source of our faith. It said in Hebrews 12, he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. So the journey of faith, I guess this is what I want to frame for us, the, the journey of faith is not so much a journey towards an outcome, it's actually a journey towards God himself. And so this is why faith pleases him. He actually, this isn't, this isn't a, dis a discussion around, well, you failed, I'm not pleased with you. It's not a performance-based statement. It's saying that without faith or with, uh, aside from faith, separated from faith in ourselves, meaning that when we're not journeying in this life with God, that isn't pleasing to him because, in fact, he has created us to be in relationship with him and dependent upon him. That's who he's made us to be. So he's not going to be satisfied or pleased with anything less than that. This verse goes on to say that whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And when I unpack this in the Greek, this is basically what it means. It says the one who draws near to God or the one who encounters God cannot help but believe 
trust and have confidence that he exists. And that means he is present. So in fact, faith has to be seen in the context of our encounter with God. That in fact, when we encounter him, and that's not just a one-time thing, that's an ongoing experience in our life, that's what he intends it to be, that when we encounter him, we cannot help but actually have our faith stirred, if you like, our confidence drawn out that in fact um, he is the one that we look to. And it goes on to say that he rewards those who seek him. That word, he rewards, it actually means he is a rewarder. So it's not so much what he does, it's actually who he is. So he is a rewarder of those of those who literally crave him. That's what that word seek means. So as we encounter in him, as we crave him, as we cannot help but actually come face to face with him and the evidence of him in our lives, what's stirred in us is confidence in him. And so he is the source of our faith. We cannot separate faith from encountering him. So this is not a disqualification statement. This is actually an invitation to recognize him as our source. His good pleasure is that you would lean into him, that you would draw near to him, that you would encounter him. This is what pleases the heart of the Father and then he will be our reward. I don't know if you've noticed in your life, I've certainly noticed in my life, but my default mechanism, the one I would default to when faced with a challenge is a kind of a cycle of fear and striving. And the thing is that God is always going to be inviting us or nudging us or challenging us to actually step into greater faith and rest not fear, striving, and performance. So any invitation from God, in fact, it gives you a fairly good clue where the invitation might be coming from. Any invitation that God will ever issue us will be drawing us in to greater faith and rest, not into fear and striving. And so even looking back at that scripture that we just looked at, there's no way God would place in his words something that actually was going to stir up a fear and a striving in us of, oh, I'm not pleasing you, I better do better. That in fact, he is always nudging us and inviting us into living a life of faith and rest in him, leaning into him. Faith is not performance or perfection. But situations requiring our faith will always have us in over our heads and confronted face to face with our weakness. Experiencing our weakness is definitely not comfortable, but it actually is a requirement of faith. Why? Because faith is not positive thinking and a can-do attitude and it's not presumption. Faith is the actual acknowledgement of our dependence upon God and our leaning into him. And so faith is actually proven at the point of our weakness. 
and that the experience in that moment that God is right there with us. And if we think that we can do it ourselves in our own strength and by performance, guess what? It's not faith. He is the source of our faith. So number two, I'm looking at the process. So I've, uh, what I want to encourage us with here is that working out our faith takes practice. Faith itself is a precious possession. It's not simply a means to an end. If I had more faith, then I would get. Faith is actually the very expression of our relationship and dependence upon God. And actually, our faith is also very precious to God. And so he will actually give it his full attention in our lives. And this will include lots of opportunities to practice walking in it. The proving process of faith, the dips and mistakes that we make, do not necessarily disqualify us and are not counted as failure. Let's just look for, as an example, at Abraham and Sarah, who, let's face it, get a very good write-up in Hebrews 11. But what do you think Abraham had any clue when God said to him, you're going to be the father of many nations, what would be involved? Or how much mess and discomfort there would be along the way? Or that, in fact, he would never see the full promise outcome. He never saw the fulfillment of that promise. He saw it in Isaac, obviously, but not that much broader promise to be the father of many nations. So we don't actually have a script of the finer details of how that season of waiting for Isaac played out. We get some highlight points, like Abraham's response to God when he said, this is what's going to happen. Uh, God, do you not remember how old we are? Um, we've got the response of Sarah, which was to laugh in the face of God in doubt that there's no way. You've got to be joking. We've got this, we, we know that they hatched um, a plan and that Abraham participated in conceiving a child um, with Hagar, Ishmael. And we get to see this very messy situation where Sarah is just so gripped with jealousy that her husband has had a child with another woman that she mistreats Hagar and Ishmael. And in fact, Abraham says, okay, we'll treat her how you like. I mean, what a mess. Yet both of them, to have landed the wrap-up that they get in Hebrews 11, there has to be some proving process of faith in their life, some practicing process that means that even though there was a really messy middle bit, they are actually described as finishing well. I've imagined many kind of multiple conversations that they must have had with God because they really, you know, again, we do actually have to invite God into our mess. So there must have been a point that they somehow invited God into the middle of their man-made mess. And whether it was, oh, God, we have messed up. What were we thinking? We were trying to fulfill this promise and not leave it to you. We have made this huge, huge mistake. Help us. 
But then we actually have this incredible proof in Abraham's life of his, his growing faith in the character and the promises of God. They're so proved in his life at the point when God asks him to do the unthinkable, sacrifice his only son, that he doesn't hesitate. His faith by this point, he is so confident in who God is and the character of God that despite not understanding, he actually obeys. Abraham didn't just conjure up this faith in that moment. There had been considerable practice and failure cycles leading up to this incredible demonstration of him, his faith leaning into the present promises of God. It says in... Um, in the account of it in Hebrews 11, it says that um, he was in the very act of offering up his son. Um, and that he, but he considered that God was able to raise him from the dead. He didn't understand what God was doing, but by then he had such proven faith and evidence in his own life that God would fulfill the promises that he had given to him, that in fact he was able to to, to do this even without understanding. Remember, this is the same man who out of fear pretended his wife was his sister to save his own skin, not once, but twice. I have a friend who's been attending CrossFit for the last two and a half years and she proudly told me this week that she had done a deadlift of 50 kilograms. I was like, wow. I said, I, I can't even lift a 10 kilo dead ball, let alone um, a 50 kilo um, deadlift. That is incredible. But she went on to describe to me the process over the last two and a half years that led to that lift. She started with a broom handle and gradually worked her way up to 50 kilograms. I want to just paint that picture for you because I think we sometimes look at somebody else's faith heavy lifting and we don't see the practice and the proving process of faith that has gone on in their life for them to actually be able to do that lift, so to speak. And what I want to declare over us this morning is God is no more or less pleased when you are practicing faith with a broom handle than he is when you are practicing faith with a 50 kilogram deadlift. We are missing the point if we think he is only pleased when we get to do the heavy faith weightlifting. And he loves to give us practice of leaning into him. And he will, make no mistake about it, initiate the practice. Just think about David, who slew bears and lions before he slew Goliath. So for us, we might frame it this way. To have mountain-moving faith, we get to practice on molehills first. It is the practice process of faith that gets things real or it's the process of practicing faith where things get real, where the rubber hits the road. Working out our faith is not simply an academic or a mental exercise. Listen to the terminology the writer of the Hebrews uses. 
hold fast without wavering. You have need of endurance. We are not to those who shrink back. Let us run with endurance. Step by step, the process of practicing our faith will build endurance. Within us is built a proven faith through the practicing process. The assurance and the evidence that God is faithful and he is always there and that he will bring about the promises in our lives. It's not always the way that we expect and it's not separate of the trials and suffering of this life but actually often in the midst of it. So my point number two around process is that working out our faith takes practice. And my final point this morning is about the environment of the framework of faith. Faith is not worked out in isolation. I'd like you, if you've still got your Bibles open, just to look to Hebrews 10. I'll just read a couple of verses from verse 22. It says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as in is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day draw near. So the writer to the Hebrews is encouraging the reader, let us draw near, let us hold fast, and let us consider how we stir one another to love and good works. That word for stir one another actually means to irritate, to incite or to provoke. Doesn't that sound like human community and family to you? Lots of opportunities to practice. Anyway, my main point is actually not that we should irritate one another, um, but it is that faith should never be in isolation. In fact, faith cannot be in isolation. We are to stir one another, to champion one another in our walk of faith. Throughout Scripture, God constantly tells his people, remember, tell them the stories of me in your life, build memorials of my faithfulness to you. That truth that if God has done it before, that he can do it again, stirs faith that the one who promises is faithful. Our faith always is within the context of community. So in Hebrews 12, it says, you are because you're surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, another way of saying it is because so many of people have gone before you, let us run our race of faith that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Now, obviously, it's not sufficient when, if I go back to my, de my deadlift illustration 
that just simply because my friend Lynn has told me she's lifted 50 kilos that I'm now going to be able to do it. Obviously, there's some training process that needs to be involved in my life if I was ever going to get to that. Um, but I can be spurred on by her encouragement and her story of success and then run the race that's set before me. So my encouragement to us this morning is that we are to stir one another up in our faith. We are to encourage one another. We are to share our stories with one another of how God is at work in our life and to actually remind one another to lean in, to keep our gaze steady. Biblical faith is not some vague hope or imaginary wishful thinking. It is the settled confidence that something in the future, something that's not yet seen but has been promised by God, will actually come to pass because God will bring it about. Fully sure, fully secure, and fully steadfast, we lean into the eternal God who is all-powerful, infinitely wise, and eternally trustworthy, whose promises have proven true generation after generation. And so we can rest in him who is faithful. So the framework for our faith is that he is the source of our faith. He provides the opportunities to practice and he provides the community in which we can walk out our faith and be encouraged. Amen. I just really felt that this morning as we finish, it's just really great for us given that he is our source to just have our eyes fixed upon the author and perfecter of our faith. Um, I hope that you're encouraged this morning to examine again afresh what it is that you believe even about the Lord and how he approaches you in your acts of little faith, that in fact he loves us and he's for us and he is not repelled by our humanity. He is not repelled by our weakness. So I would just invite us this morning. I'm not going to lead worship. You, you don't know. I think here, here comes Ali. I would just encourage us all to stand to our feet this morning and to just, as we sing, to just fix our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith.